1: Recently, there was an interesting study that showed if you actually increase your level of omega-3s by an extra serving a week or two, from wherever you are with your starting point, you can increase your longevity, your survival by 4.7
0: years. Dr. William Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, I'm excited to have you. As I was saying before we started rolling, you have such an interesting perspective on health. And the thing that was a real hook for me and where I think is the right place to start is a quote that you said, which is that health is not the absence of disease. Now, I found that very surprising. Then I heard your answer and I was like, okay, I'm with him. So why isn't health the absence of disease? Well, so...
1: As a medical doctor, uh, I train in internal medicine, uh, which means that I take care of young and old, men and women, healthy and sick. You know, I um, have spent most of my career not only in sort of the, the, the center, the thick of the current of modern medicine, which is largely about prescriptions and large, largely about diagnosing and treating disease. The thing that's different about me, though, is I started realizing with all the successes we've had you know, treat new treatments for 12 different types of cancers that didn't exist before, you know, um, that we were really only tackling part of the equation because wouldn't it be much better if we could actually prevent the disease in the first place? And what's interesting is the same science that teaches us how to intercept and tackle a disease using drugs actually teaches us in some ways, a hell of a lot more about how to prevent the disease in the first place. How do we actually, you know, um, not just pick up the pieces after the time bomb explodes or the stick of dynamite, but how do we actually pull the fuse out or disarm the time bomb, right? So that's what got me really interested in diverting my scientific um, focus from treatments to taking a look at prevention. Mm. Now, if you're talking about disease, it's pretty straightforward. Diagnose it, find a treatment, write a prescription, refer to a specialist. If you're talking about prevention, you're really talking about health. And this brings me full circle to where you where you started, what we're starting. So what is health, right? I mean, I'm just like everyone else. Well, if I'm not, if, are you healthy? Well, if I'm not sick, I'm actually healthy, right? So in most people's minds, including mine, not being sick is kind of the default definition of being healthy. But that is very problematic because the absence of something, the absence of disease is very, is impossible to operationalize. You can't do something about the absence of something else. So that's what I started to ask. Well, what is health if it's not just the lack of disease? Well, it turns out that, and this has been my research, turns out that health is not just the absence of disease. It is the result of our body's own hardwired defense systems, health defense systems that we're born with. These are defense systems are formed in the womb before we're born. And the moment we appear on planet Earth, our health defenses are firing on all cylinders from day one all the way to our very last breath. And all of a sudden, that gives us a whole new canvas to understand what can we do to support health? What can we do to boost our body's health defenses?
0: Yeah. I love this idea. One, when you think about disease, it's happening within us all the time. And right now I've heard you say this in interviews right now, literally this minute, you and I are both forming cancers, but they are very small and the body has defense mechanisms against that. And it goes and attacks it. And you talk about the five defenses that the body has. And when those five defenses are working well, then even though you're being assaulted from the outside, you've got things going wrong on the inside, you're able to hit this I'll call homeostasis that we think of as health. And really taking your approach of saying, okay, there are these five defenses, which would be great for you to walk us through what those five are, but that there are things that you can do on a daily basis that support those. and that's what I really want people to take away from your message. So what are those five defenses and how do we keep them optimized? Yeah. So
1: our body has five very simple health defense systems that are, um, uh, that have now been discovered. They are number one, something called angiogenesis. That's blood vessels. That's how our blood body grows. Blood vessels. Angio means blood, blood vessels. Genesis is how the body grows blood vessels. We've got 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels packed in our body. And these are the highways and byways of our oxygen, our nutrients, whatever we breathe, whatever we eat, in order for our cells to get the benefits of the critical elements of life, they have to be carried by the blood vessels. So that's so critical for our defenses. That's healthy. Number two, our stem cells. You know, when we were kids, we were told that starfish and salamanders can regenerate, but humans can't. Guess what? That textbook's been thrown right out the window because humans do regenerate just slowly. And we know that we gener- regenerate because our hair grows back. Um, uh, you know, um, Our skin uh, can actually heal and, and grow itself back. But some of the crazy things that we're beginning to actually discover is that uh, if you snip a piece of your lung off, it, it'll grow right back at the very tip. If you cut off, take away two thirds of your liver. Okay, let's say that you have a tumor in your liver, you can remove two thirds of it and that one third will grow the rest of the liver back, kind of like crazy. a salamander's leg. It's crazy. And of course, our nerves regenerate. And so biotech companies have been trying for decades now to figure out how to inject stem cells. Well, Mother Nature's already beat them to it because stem cells are present in our body as a defense. And we're continuously regenerating ourselves from the inside out repairing problems. You know, there's a road crew inside our body, uh, yours and mine right here, right now that are fixing things that are invisible to us. Third, microbiome. We can talk more about this. You know, it's the tip of the spear of a whole new frontier about the human body that we're just beginning to understand. But the important part of it is that we know that when we've got good, healthy gut bacteria, and this microbiome is the ecosystem of our gut bacteria, I call it the great barrier reef in our body. You know, um, 39 trillion bacteria all living inside there. And what we know, the important part for your, your viewers and listeners is that they help when they're healthy, they help to lower inflammation in our body, which then lowers all kinds of disease. They help optimize our metabolism. Everybody's always worried about their metabolism. Good gut bacteria helps that right along. Fight fat, um, help to avoid um, uh, insulin sensitivity uh, over, uh, uh, and avoid glucose uh, surges, all very important. Controls our hormones. You know, so that our mood and our brain, so our mood is actually uh, healthy as well, and can fight cancer and uh, regulate obesity, all kinds of things. If our gut, and by the way, it's so easy to disrupt the gut. I mean, think about a tanker spill uh, that destroys, you know, a coral reef. That's what we can accidentally do to ourselves by eating the wrong things. You know, if you were taken boat by the Great Barrier Reef and you were to take a a bottle of of toxic material and pour it right down on top of the coral reef, guarantee you that the fish and the anemones are all going to be dead, okay? Um, That's what we do to ourselves. So this higher level of awareness that we have, we have to take care of our gut microbiome, so important for, uh, for defending our health. Our gut defends our health. Fourth, our DNA defends us against the environment. So most people think about our DNA as our genetic code. Yes, it is. It is the blueprint for our proteins in our body that we inherited, half from our mom, half from our dad, et cetera, et cetera. However, the, the, the really cool um, unsung part of our DNA is that it's one of our body's five health defense systems. What does it do? It fixes itself. What do I mean by fixing itself? Well, if we go out you know during the summer and you go to the beach and you are enjoying laying out, you know, enjoying the weather beach weather, the ultraviolet radiation is coming in and mutating your DNA. Now, how come we don't develop cancer all the time after going out to the beach? Because our DNA is hardwired to fix itself when it's damaged by the environment. And the beach is one thing, and I'm not even talking about the tanning slot, but I always ask people, when you're actually filling up your car with gas, like you're, you know, you're at the gas tank, do you stand upwind or downwind of the, of the of the pump? And people go, huh? What are you talking about? I'm like, well, if you smell the fumes, the solvents then you're standing downwind. And if you smell them, you're breathing in solvents that can mutate the DNA in your lung. So how can we don't get lung cancer? Because our DNA fixes itself. An amazing defense system um, uh, that, that our DNA plays. And then finally is our immune system, which of course, you know, after the past year and a half, everybody knows just how important good strong immunity actually is. But most people don't know that even as we get older, our immune system still has the capacity of fighting invaders, not just outside invaders like viruses and bacteria, but inside invaders like cancer. So we are able to now, and, and this is one of the most remarkable things I've seen in my medical career, give people who have cancer, even metastatic cancer that spread, immune treatments that by themselves don't kill the cancer, but uncloak the cancer so that your immune system can go after the cancer, And even if you've got metastatic disease, even brain metastases, it's possible in some cases now for your own immune system to wipe out all traces of cancer and put you not just in remission. Okay. That's what chemo does, can put you in remission, but immunotherapy can actually turn the clock back and reset yourself. So you don't have cancer anymore. So five health defense system.
0: What's the mechanism when you talk about the uncloaking, what's actually going on Are my understanding is that you're basically getting a sample from the tumor cell, you're sequencing the tumor itself, and you're somehow programming the immune system to go seek that out. Is that accurate? Well, there are different types of immunotherapy. Broadly speaking,
1: immunotherapy is harnessing your body's own immune system to fight the cancer, which is different than inventing a toxic drug or even a, or even a smart bomb, you know, a targeted drug to actually go after the cancer. So immunotherapy relies on your immune system. It is true what you just said, there are some very specific kinds of immune systems where you can remove your immune system, reprogram it, you know, kind of turn it from, uh, you know, uh, turn, turn it from uh, an ordinary immune cell uh, into a super soldier. Okay, and then inject it back in the body and it will go and go after the cancer. But there are other forms of immune uh, uh, therapy where what you're, what you're doing, and this is what I was talking about, cancers like to h- develop these sneaky ways of hiding from your immune system. They cloak themselves. You know, like the old Star Trek, the Klingons would turn on cloaking device and now you can't, the enterprise can't find the enemy ship, okay? Well, that's what cancers actually do. Some immunotherapies, all they do is they rip the cloak off the cancer and the immune system goes, regular immune system goes, aha, I see you. I'm going to come after you and I'm going to get you because what keeps you and I uh, uh, from actually developing lethal cancers right here, right now, Tom, is that our immune system is spotting little tiny harmless microscopic cancers and saying, I see you, you're gone. Okay. You're dead meat. And they just clear off. It's like taking an eraser just erasing the cancer right off the chalkboard. All right. So when you uncloak the cancer, it allows your immune system to do this. The best uh, example of this is former president, U.S. president, Jimmy Carter. When he was in his 90s, he developed a melanoma that had spread to his liver and his brain. And, you know, it it was at that point, this is about 10 years ago now, almost 10 years ago, uh, a brain metastasis from a skin cancer melanoma is pretty much a death sentence. And so he was happy. He happened to be one of the first people to actually get a treatment that ripped the cloak off of the melanoma cells in his brain and elsewhere. And it allowed his 90 year old immune system to see that cancer. And even at that age, even with that spread, he had all of his cancer cleared out of his system. And I used that knowledge to help treat my own mother who Mm -hmm. actually had metastatic endometrial cancer. So this is, this came home to roost really on a personal level. And, you know, we were able to uh, replicate that kind of finding, not from a skin cancer, but from an endometrial uterus cancer. So, um, you know, we're, we haven't beaten cancer uh, completely yet, but I'll tell you, I did not expect in my career, in my lifetime, to be able to see it's possible to take somebody with advanced cancer and turn a clock back and literally erase it off the chalkboard using immunotherapies. And so I'm talking about drugs. I mean, I talked a lot about drugs and, and stem cells and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the amazing thing is that with this hardcore knowledge, now I've, I've worked in biotechnology, so I know what it takes to develop technologies to go after these, um, uh, help enhance these uh, health defenses. But what's amazing is that it's very hard to beat mother nature. And you can talk about drugs when you're talking about treating disease, but when you're talking about prevention and raising your shields, amping up your health defenses, you can't talk about drugs. You got to talk about something like food Mm -hmm. and food is a medicine we take three times a day. And that's what I wrote about in my book, Eat to Beat Disease.
0: All right. Before we get onto food, cause we're going to spend a fair amount of time on that. I want to understand this uncloaking mechanism. What's going on at a cellular level that one, t- what is the cloak itself? Is it like a biofilm? Like what happens with bacteria that, uh, that seems odd, but maybe that is what happens. And then what is the removal mechanism?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, um, there are many different ways to cloak. Uh, we're discovering new ways and there in cancer is many ways the one that actually has um been amenable to immunotherapies uh has been a protein called pdl1 uh it's called program death ligand one so this um pdl one protein is made by lots of different cells to help our healthy cells protect uh, to, to protect ourselves against our immune system so why doesn't why don't most of us have autoimmune diseases? Because our immune system is jacked up and ready to kind of attack anything that it doesn't want. Well, it can recognize self or healthy self uh, from disease because our healthy cells have created this protein called PDL one, and it basically raises the flag, okay, like on the lawn that says, "Hey, you know what? We're normal. Please don't attack us." So cancers have hijacked PDL one. And they make lots of PDL one all over themselves. And so basically your immune system kind of wings right by. So these these super soldiers, your regular immune system is with all these soldiers that are patrolling your body, our body all the time, they can't see the cancer because they're completely cloaked. It's just wearing an, another kind of assassin in the crowd waving a flag. And so it ignores it. And yet there it is, it's right there. So when you actually take that flag away and you let the body secret service spot that thing, okay, then. Your immune system will find the cells that are not make, waving the flag, that protein PDL1,
0: say, uh huh, I'm coming after you. All right, this is utterly fascinating. So let me say this in my sort of layman's terms and see how close I'm getting. So we've got autophagy, your body's going through and it's saying, oh, here's a damaged cell, I'm gonna strip it down for parts essentially. And so that, you know, whether it's a senescent cell, that's just sort of um, misfiring or whether it's a cell that's literally broken, we're cleaning all that up. Now I never stopped to ask myself how the body knows that that cell is damaged. It knows it, if I'm understanding you correctly, because it stops producing this protein that you're talking about. So in the absence of the sign that says I'm healthy, the body then goes, okay, you're damaged and I need to strip you apart.
1: So that is part of autophagy. So autophagy is basically like recycling. You know, Um, you take the plastic parts and the bits and stuff after you've gotten your takeout, or you carry out and you want to put it back so it can get, get reused in some useful way or the other stuff thrown out. So that's autophagy. And yes, the, these types of signals are used to help distinguish between what you're going to keep and what you're not going to keep and, and, and what you should attack and what you should not. Attack.
0: Is that what we're triggering here? Is it normal autophagy or is there another layer where it's a totally different response? Yeah, this is, a,
1: this is another layer. Um, the autophagy will occur after the immune system actually finds it. But before that, it's really spotting the enemy. Uh, it is cellular profiling. OK, so if you think about like the security force, you know, you got a VIP in town. you got a big crowd that's going to come out to hear the VIP. And you want to make sure that there are no assassins or trouble causers in the crowd. You actually have your security go out there and review who's coming to the party, and when they when they get to the party, they're scanning the crowd looking for, um, they're they're profiling the people. Does that that individual that cell look like it's carrying a problem? Okay, um, and and most people are looking like innocents, and so they they've got you know um, they've got the PDL the proteins that basically say, hey, no, no, I'm you, I'm I'm fine, don't attack me, but that um, cancer is hiding itself, cloaking itself masquerading uh, 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 like a good guy. Okay. Um, so what immunotherapies can do is peel off the Mission Impossible mask. How
0: does, it reveal. Know, how does it know to selectively peel off the PDL? How do you keep it from just peeling PDL off everything?
1: Yeah, it's because tumors make a lot of it. They make tons of extra PDL. And in fact, this is how we're able to find out if you're a good candidate for this kind of immunotherapy is called a checkpoint inhibitor. Checkpoint, just like checkpoint Charlie, just like the checkpoint for a security team, profiling to make sure there's no bad guys in the crowd, and um, uh, and, and and tumors, cancers that are, are going to respond to this make a ton of this checkpoint. And what what the um, what happens is that the treatments have been designed so they're able to peel back the PDL1. It's called a pd one inhibitor, a checkpoint inhibitor, and literally it kind of rips the mask off of, of cancer
0: Get things off your chest, process through things with better help. Visit betterhelp.com/slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp h com slash impact theory. and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com.
1: It doesn't rip it off everything. Otherwise your whole immune system would go after you with autoimmune disease. Do you have to Um, inject
0: it at the site or something? No, it goes right
1: into your bloodstream. And, uh, you, you want the you want this thing to go everywhere into your brain, into your toes, into your kidney, into your liver, everywhere. Okay. And that's the amazing part. Like we are moving away from, you got to cut the patient open and look for the thing, or you got to scan. You can, the, this is these biological therapies, um, leverage the power of our health defenses.
0: Oh, this is so interesting. And forgive me. I, I'm, I piece by piece, I'm beginning to understand it better. Okay, so I want to keep pushing on this till I really get it. So what am I injecting exactly? Right. Well,
1: first of all, um, not every tumor is going to be making tons of it. So some tumors are not going to respond to immunotherapy as easily. You got to find a different way to attack them. But the ones that do, here's what we do. We actually, there's a bag uh, of, of liquid that contains a immunotherapy drug. They're called checkpoint inhibitors. And most of them, are um, what we call monoclonal antibodies. So we're hearing a lot about antibodies in the news. We get a vaccine, your body makes antibodies. Antibodies are really kind of the ammunition that your immune system uses. They're the bullets that the immune system uses to attack things like viruses or cancers. And so, um, uh, but you, but then antibody can be designed. Okay, So you can actually create a designer antibody to tackle and strip away the PDL uh, the, the, the cloaking mechanism. So literally what's, what's in a bag that you would actually drip in as an infusion, uh, is a bag full of antibodies. that goes straight into your body. Okay. It's like getting an antibody. If you infusion, that's exactly what it is. And these antibodies have been designed and dosed and primed. So all they do is they, they get all over your body. They're, they're patrolling everywhere and and they don't last forever. So just in a, a single injection and they're ripped in there anywhere. There's extra PDL, extra cloaking, peel it right off.
0: Okay. How did we get to the point where we could design something that would only strip it away if it's extra?
1: Ah, well, that's the, that's the heavy lifting of biotechnology. You got to look at normal. You got to look at abnormal. Then you got to titrate it. You got to figure out that recipe. You know, how, how does grandma, how does Nona make that red sauce? So delicious. She just seems to know exactly, you know, they, they've tried this over and over, different doses, different um, levels, wow. different formulations until they found just the right one.
0: Dude, that is so brilliant. Uh, that's really, really incredible. Okay. So about 20% of people, if I remember correctly, res- are like sort of hyper responders to that. um You've got an interesting hypothesis that'll lead us into another one of our defense mechanisms, which maybe is the place to go next before we get to food, which is, and I don't know if it plays into the antibody role, but certainly just in, in treatments in general, that there are certain things that may be going on in your microbiome that metabolize the medication in a way that, that either works for or against you. Um, can you give us some color on that? Yeah,
1: Absolutely. I, 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 you know, you're, you're setting this up perfectly for me to tell you how our health defense systems don't work in their own silos. They actually work together. This, our health defenses collaborate and through these connections, they can really help us resist diseases like cancer. So, you know, the microbiome is something that I can tell you when I went to medical school was never taught in med school. We were taught bacteria is bad. You want to actually scrub it out, clean it out, treat it out with an antibiotic. We now we know that actually most of the bacteria in our body is good. There's a few bad actors, but most of them are good. And a lot of the good ones live in our gut, okay? And the gut bacteria, um, uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, do all kinds of amazing and crazy kind of things. One of the things they do is the gut bacteria talks to our immune system, which connects back to the immunotherapy. So you need to have a good immune system that's ready to rock, okay, ready to respond to the immunotherapy that you may be treated with. That's what's hanging in the bag. So, if you hang something in the bag, the antibodies that go into your bloodstream that rip off the cloaking device, you still need the other half of your immune system. The other half is the immune system has got to be good enough to go after it. Now, it turns out the microbiome pretty much is the trainer for the immune system, one of the trainers, one of the caretakers, one of the, um, uh, housekeepers of the immune system, and so if your microbiome isn't in good shape, your immune system's not going to be in good shape as well. Now, um, here's what's kind of crazy: um, most doctors that are out there in practice now, when we were in school, we were told that um, our immune system, like, where's your immune system? It's in our lymph nodes. It's in our spleen. It's in our thymus. You know, people kind of like had we we had a checkbox of places that the immune system is located right you get a lymph node after you got like a sore throat or flu or something like that bronchitis that's not where the immune system is now we we know that there's some there but actually 70 percent of our immune system lives inside our gut so think about your intestines right it's a big long tube like a sasha's casing a garden hose cut a garden hose in half it's got a layer Inside that layer, think about the jelly rolls. Let's think about it like a jelly roll now. Inside the middle of that layer is 70% of our immune system. Inside our gut, wrapped like a like the jelly in a jelly roll. Now, where is the bacteria? The bacteria is inside our gut. That ecosystem inside our gut, like inside the, the tube. And then the jelly rolls, where the immune system is, 70% of our immune system. So what happens? What's the con- connection? What's the collaboration? Our gut talks to our immune system like college roommates living in a dorm. Right. So you go to college, paper thin walls, right? Some guy wants pizza. What are we going to have tonight? You know, you just pound through the wall and shout through the wall, and the guy knows what you want to order, right? That's the same thing. Your b- gut bacteria can talk to the immune system through the walls of the bacteria and help to g- prompt them and give them commands on how to be, actually get in good shape. Drop down and give me 50. You know, like that's actually what our gut bacteria is able to do for our immune system. Now, there's one bacteria. That's actually, there are different bacteria that are important for different things. We're just beginning to discover this. There's one bacteria that seems to be particularly important. It's called Acromansia mucinophila. Ackermansia mucinophila. I'm going to come back to the name in a second. So this um, immunotherapy, cancer therapy, I mean, it's truly remarkable what it can actually achieve in its best form. Okay. But yeah, only about 20% of people are the kind of responders that we wish we all would be right? The Jimmy Carter's or my mother's, for example. And so, um, one of my colleagues in Paris, um, Dr. Laurence Zitvogel is an immuno-oncologist. Okay. And she took 200 people that had different types of cancers, breast, colon, pancreas, right. And she, um, and they were all treated with immunotherapy. And of course, only 20% had the good response, the beneficial response. The other one were so-so Etsy a response. Okay. And, and she looked at everything that made the difference between responders and non-responders, right? That's a typical thing that an analyst would do. What makes the good one? What makes the bad one? What are the differences? She could not find any difference between the responders and the non-responders except for one bacteria. That one bacteria was Ackermansia mucinophila. The people who responded it had it in their gut, one bacteria. And the people who didn't respond to immunotherapy had a bad outcome. We're missing it.
0: That's so interesting. You're so crazy. Okay. So
1: she took the, so she, she replicated that in the lab and found that if she had mice growing cancers and she gave them immunotherapy, if she gave them an antibiotic to wipe out acromantia, man, the cancer just grew, 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 grew. They didn't respond to the treatment. If she put acromantia back in their gut, the tumors responded. They shrank, 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 and disappeared. Amazing. Right. Um, uh, And by the way, she got the acromantia from human patients. She put it back into the mouse. So, all right. So what does it have to do with um, how to boost acromancy, right? Because it's very sensitive. If you have, if I were to give you a Z-Pack, okay, to treat a bronchitis, uh, uh, that would wipe out acromancy. Your body will eventually grow it back, slowly but surely. But if you had cancer and you're getting this treatment, you cannot afford, you don't have time. Time's not in your mm-hmm. side, right? So we cannot eat acromantia right now as a as a supplement. There doesn't exist. It's not a probiotic. Okay, um, not yet. The only thing that we can do is actually grow acromantia. So we have to be our own gardeners of our microbiome to grow the acromantia. So our immune system is in good shape so that the acromantia can talk to the immune system so that that part of it is in good shape to respond to immunotherapy. How do you do that? Well, it's all in the name. Okay, acromantia mucinophila, mucin. This bacteria loves to grow in mucus loves to grow in the mucus of the gut. Our gut normally secretes mucus. So the more mucus we have, it's like fertilizer, the more the more it will grow. So how do we grow the mucus? Well, you can eat foods, pomegranate, pomegranate juice, the elagitanins, natural chemicals in pomegranate, actually are one of the few things that can stimulate our gut, natural gut, natural substance in our, to our gut naturally to secrete more mucus. So you can grow back your acromancy. So that's basically what we're doing now with some of these cancer patients is making sure before they get immunotherapy that they're actually growing back their acromantia.
0: Dude, this is crazy. And this brings us right to food. One of the things that's so profound about your approach is you've compared the response to all kinds of diseases to a drug and then the response to food as if it were a drug. And it really, I literally have the chills right now just saying that it, it is, astonishing how you can get a response from eating food, whether it's pomegranates, increasing the mucosal layer in your intestines or many, many other things, which I'm sure you will rattle through some of here shortly, uh, that if you saw a drug that gave that kind of response, it would be a multi-billion dollar drug and people would be losing their minds. But the fact that it's food becomes even hard to test for walk us through some of the early realizations that you had around that. And I've heard you talk about how as an oncologist, it's easy to get, you know, um, Oh God, what are the, the chemotherapy drugs and test it out in your lab. But if you ask the same thing about what the response would be for broccoli or something, it's like nobody, they look at you sort of sideways. Um, Talk to me about food as a drug.
1: Yeah. So first of all, Food is medicine is an ancient concept. And if you go back to the ancient societies and ancient cultures like Greek culture or Asian culture, um, food isn't just food. It's not just sustenance. You know, Um, it's actually part of our lives and part of our lives is actually what we eat um, influences our bodies. Um, Here's how I came into this. You know, very honestly, uh, I'm not one of these doctors that basically, you know, quit modern medicine and then poo-pooed and eschewed prescription drugs, like I just told you, I, I've actually been involved with developing biotech drugs. So I, I believe that new medications can be really, really important for the right person at the right time in the right situation. However, I started to realize that because I helped to develop many of the systems to develop drugs, that we were not taking full advantage of all these testing systems, right? Um, and and to, just to flesh out um, how I have explained it, I, I'm a cancer researcher, so I, I've done a lot of research with in cancer labs, and I can tell you, you can um, go onto the internet, click on some chemo drug or whatever, have it FedExed to you by um, by a mail order, have it arrive the next day, put a uh, a little um, uh, a spoonful of the chemo drug into a into an experiment, and within a few days or maybe even a few hours, you would know using this test system whether or not the drug is effective against cancer where there's activity. Okay. Now you can pick up the phone and you can call on a pizza or a salad and have it delivered in 15 minutes. And you ask the same cancer researcher, how do I study what the onions do? What do, what does the anchovies do? What do the, you know, what does the lettuce do? And they would scratch their heads and say, I have no idea. So that's what I did 10 years ago is to tackle that challenge of, 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 Bringing two worlds, making two worlds collide, the, the world of biotechnology, where we have like, you can't believe how sophisticated some of these testing systems are. And that's what's amazing, because you can throw in the drugs too, and you can throw in the foods, and then you can compare them side by side. So um, uh, my areas in the field of angiogenesis, how the body grows blood vessels, for years, cancer researchers were finding, trying to find ways to cut off the blood supply that feed cancers. So if a cancer doesn't get a blood supply, it's just this microscopic thing and it can't grow. In fact, tumors cannot grow larger than the head of a ballpoint pen, the tip of a ballpoint pen, until it gets a blood supply. No oxygen, no nutrients, no growth. All right. But when cancer is actually able to get this blood supply, they start taking off. They can grow sixteen thousand times in two weeks. So it's angiogenesis is a trigger to propel cancer growth. So finding drugs that can inhibit androgenesis or stop blood vessels from going to tumors was at one point kind of a holy grail. It was, you know, like, how do we get that? Lots of drugs. I've been involved with the whole thing. And now there are actually lots of real FDA approved drugs. But we were able to study foods in that same system. Foods, uh, uh, some of the foods, soybeans, grapes, strawberries, lemons. And it was crazy to actually see. Um, Because I have the street cred of being able to study against the biotech drugs that pound for pound, ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, um, uh, in in many cases, the food held their own against the drug, some cases more powerfully. Uh, Obviously, some foods are not as powerful, but that actually opens the gateway for a whole new future. And I think that's something that's really exciting to watch
0: no joke do we know what's going on at the molecular level is it a metabolite that our microbiome produces when um breaking down grapes that's stopping the angiogenesis or is it something uh, else
1: yeah so um so mother nature in creating foods um have uh, laced these foods with natural chemicals right um these are called bioactives and they're called bioactives cuz they're biologically active and in a plant let's look at a strawberry, for example. Okay. The tartness of strawberries, you know, there's strawberries are sweet and tart. The tartness comes from an acid unsurprisingly called elagic acid. Okay. And so, you know, when a strawberry is a little tartar because it's got more elagic acid. So, um, elagic acid is a powerful starver
0: of cancer. So it cuts off the blood. Does that actually end up in our bloodstream? Like can, could I eat strawberries? And then you could draw my blood and be like, you had seven strawberries. Absolutely. That Absolutely. is insane.
1: Okay. Now, but here's, here's the, here's even more insane part. What are these, what are these bioactors doing in the plant? They are part of the plant's health defense system. So these natural chemicals help the plant defend themselves. When we eat them, they have another job description. They do double duty and they actually help to activate our own body's health defenses. Now, here's one thing that I think is a practical um, value. You know, for a long time, people are sort of talking about like, well, you know, like you should eat more organic and don't need pesticides and stuff like that. Here's a whole new take on this. Okay. And this is kind of smoking hot information. Um, Pesticides actually kill insects so that the plants um, look better. um, The leaves aren't as chewed up. And usually the fruits or vegetables look a little bit better too, right? That's just agriculture makes it look better and the product look better on the shelf. Organic doesn't use that. And so a lot of times you have the more natural, you know, the bugs are nipping at the leaves and chewing at the stems. Guess what? Mother nature created things like elagric acid as natural insecticides. And so basically when the, um, the plant, the strivery plant is being chewed on, it makes more elagric acid to repel the bugs. It's a wound healing response and a defensive response. So organic foods have more bioactives as a reaction. I just was uh, involved with a study uh, I was meeting about yesterday, talking about coffee. Organic versus conventionally grown coffee. Conventional grown coffee with pesticides. Organic coffee, hands down, um, this is a study at the University of Warsaw University, um, hands down, um, a pound for pound of coffee bean, organic coffee has more bioactives than the pesticide-treated coffee, because the insects, the natural things in the environment, cause it to create more natural health defenses,
0: Dude, this, yeah, this gets incredible. I can't believe I'm this deep in my journey of health and all that, and I never realized that the actual chemical compounds from food, I always thought it was the metabolites from the, the digestive process that was making its way into the bloodstream, which I know so, also happens. Also happens. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really intriguing. So one thing we actually haven't talked a lot about, which is your specialty is angiogenesis. So when we eat something that has an anti-angiogenesis benefit, is it like ubiquitous across every blood vessel in the body, or is it doing something creating some sort of knock-on effect like the antibody drip that we're getting where it's somehow selectively targeting things that are overproducing something? Great question. Let me kind of um, frame it in,
1: uh, uh, first framing about angiogenesis in general. So when we were in our mom's wombs, okay, and sperm met egg and started to form a little ball of cells that didn't look anything like a person yet, but started to create little organs and start to create shape. The first organs that get created are blood vessels. Our circulation is the first thing that gets created. So our blood supply, our circulation is very much a part of who we are. And I mentioned that we have 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels. Just to give you a sense of how extraordinarily big that is, if you were to pull out all the blood vessels uh, from from you or me and line them up end to end, that would form a thread um, that would go around the earth twice. Huge. Okay, it is insane. Now, um, our every single cell in our body, every organ, require um, relies on just the right amount of blood flow, so they're getting fed with oxygen and nutrients. Um, uh, if they don't need more than just the right amount. And but if they don't have enough, our body has to be able to grow more. Okay.
0: Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. This, having just the right amount, I call it the Goldilocks
1: zone. So Goldilocks, remember the, the, the story? Um, you know, the bears went in there and it's not too hot, not too cold, not too hard, not too soft. Or well, our health defenses, including angiogenesis, It's exactly the same way, not too much and not too little, but just the right amount. So this just right zone exists for our blood vessels, our stem cells, our microbiome, our DNA kind of balance, as well as our immune system. It's all about homeostasis, the term you used earlier, just the right amount. Now, that means our body knows how to grow more when it's necessary. And then when there's enough, it stops. And if there's too much, it's kind of like a, a gardener you know, that sees your lawn overgrowing, it mows the lawn, just mows it right back down until it gets to the right height. Okay. Our body's health defenses, when they're working at their best, there's like a perfectly manicured lawn, not too much, not too little, just the right amount to be able to, uh, to, 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 go around like playing like rounds of golf on a perfect course. Now, um, what tumors do is they hijack this process and so they, like a tumor is sitting on a golf course and just grows extra weeds and grass right just for itself. So that's what gets targeted. Your body tries to fight that off, but sometimes we need some extra help for it. That extra help can be a smart bomb drug that we um, design to target those extra blood vessels, or we can help our body mow the lawn by eating foods that have anti-angiogenic or blood vessel mowing capacity. You'll never be able to get rid of them all. It's just back down to the body's set point. So what's an example of um, a drug that can actually do this? There's monoclonal antibodies that are designed like smart bombs to take out tumor blood vessels. But foods can actually do it too. Now, why can drugs and foods target a tumor blood vessel and not take down your aorta or the blood vessels feeding your brain like your carotid artery? It's because when we build healthy blood vessels, we take our body takes great care to construct them to be very, very strong. It's like building a skyscraper, okay? The architects and the contractors and their craftsmen, they make everything perfect, as perfect as they can. But when a tumor does it, you know, it doesn't, it's not a careful contractor. It's like a lousy contractor, just throws the, the, the thing up. And so the blood vessels that are grown are flimsy, they're fragile, they're unstable. And so think about, you know, a hurricane, like Hurricane Ida, sweep through the area, And the strong, sturdy structures, our healthy blood vessels, are going to stay up even when the wind is there. All the ones that are not well-constructed, the wind blows them right down. And that's why a tumor blood vessel is much more vulnerable to either food or drug.
0: Wow, that's really incredible. Okay, so you wrote the book, Eat to Beat Disease. We've touched on a little bit but now I think it's worth, what, what is your sort of general, I know that there's never gonna be a one size fits all, it's very important for people to understand, but in terms of general uh, patterns of eating to beat disease, what are those general patterns?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, um, when I wrote Eat to Beat Disease, which became a New York Times bestseller, uh, the whole point was not about writing about a diet. It's not keto, it's not South Beach, it's not about weight loss even, it's really about health. And because when I was um, doing my research to look at different foods that would activate our health defenses, here's the first thing I was surprised by. It's not like one food or two foods or five foods, or you know, it was more than 200 different kinds of foods. And they were fruits and they were vegetables, they were spices, and they were legumes, and they were different kinds of seafood, including shellfish. And they were different kinds of fish beyond salmon. Okay. Um, and, and there's even some dairy products that can actually have some benefits as well, including fermented foods um, like yogurt and sauerkraut and kimchi. And these foods are so ubiquitous that they are found in the traditional cultures of every single society, but especially Mediterranean diet, which we know is healthier for us as a pattern, and Asian food, which we also know is healthier. And so what I started to realize is that eating to beat disease is not just picking a particular disease and trying to figure out what the recipe is that the one size fits all, but it's really, um, a journey that we have our whole lives from the time we're small until we get old, we get older, um, parents have the opportunity to actually start feeding their children when, as soon as they're taking solid food, foods that can actually help them beat disease. In In fact, breastfeeding is actually helping your child, um, uh, beat disease by, uh, shaping and sculpting their microbiome. Right? One of the health defense systems. So I came up with 200 different foods. I lay them all out according to which health defense systems they activate. Some cases they activate all of the health defense systems. I call those grand slammers because man, a single food will knock out, you know, knock the five health defenses out of the park. It's a home run to eat those things. And I explain all the research has been done by myself and other people to show how they actually work. So what's the principle to eat to beat disease? You can love your food to love your health. Love your food to love your health. That seems so contradictory to what we used to think about healthy food, right? Because the old thinking is that well, you got to eat healthy, you got to cut out everything you love, you know. And 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 I'm I'm turning that upside down and inside out. I'm inverting the whole equation. I'm saying if you look at those two hundred foods that I put down in my book, Eat to Be Disease, take a sharpie out and circle the ones that you love already. I like this, I like that one, tomatoes I like. Oh man, I like this one. Okay. That's a great starting point because if you start eating those foods, you're already head of the game because you already love foods that can actually eat to, that can activate your health defenses. Now you can explore, expand your horizons by choosing these other foods that are out there as well. If you sat in TV and watch a food the sh- food network you can find all these people experimenting with different ingredients. If you go onto YouTube, you can look for an ingredient you don't recognize, bitter melon. the heck is a bitter melon? Well, it's an Asian gourd. Is it bitter? Absolutely. But there are ways of actually cooking it so that it's not so bitter and it has medicinal value. Well, how would I do it? Click on YouTube and search on recipe, cooking, bitter melon, and you'll watch somebody teach it to you. So love your food to love your health. Explore with your
0: life. And just know that the foods I put in the book activate your body's health defenses Right. And some of the things I know you've recommended, um, historically, mostly plant based um, you talk about getting some omega-3 from marine sources, uh, whether it's from fish or whether it's from, uh, I, I think you talk about seaweed, you'd have to refresh mm-hmm. my memory. Um, you do personally eat some meat, though I don't know if you eat any red meat or not. I know you recommend that people cut that down, uh, extra virgin olive oil, um, things like that. Am I missing any of the the heavy hitting advice? Well,
1: I mean, so here's here's the basic thing: um, all the research, scientific research, has been done, and the epidemiological, the public health research shows that eating a plant based, mostly plant based diet that that's pretty broad, you know. Um, uh, fruits, vegetables, legumes, nuts, uh, healthy oils. Good for you. You should eat most of mo- mostly that it doesn't mean, uh, and by the way, uh, plant-based could be tricky because a lot of ultra processed foods also have, mm. um, plant materials in it, processed soy, all kinds of other things, all kinds of unhealthy oils made from plants. However, if it's whole plant-based foods, it's kind of stuff you'd find at a grocery store or a farmer's market. Okay. Like I would say mostly go for those mostly go for those. Okay. Um, uh, uh, seafood has been shown to improve survival and decrease the risk of death. If you eat two or three servings of, of seafood shelf, it could be fish or shellfish. Um, you get healthy omega-3 fatty acids um, Is that per day, per week, two to three oh. servings per week. And the amount you would eat, uh, which I write a whole chapter about food doses, um, the amount you would eat is about three ounces. So people like, well, wait, I'm not a human scale. I have no idea what three ounces is. What I would say it's a lot less than you think. It is a piece of fish about the size of a deck of playing cards. You can put it in your palm. It's about yay. It's about as thick as a deck of playing cards. Not that big a deal. And you know, um, and, and people who love seafood can can get a lot of it that way. Recently, there was an interesting study that showed if you actually increase your level of omega-3s by an extra serving a week or two, like from wherever you are with your starting point, you can increase your longevity, your survival by 4.7 years. So an extra serving of, of, of omega-3 rich seafood, you increase your survival by lifetime survival by 4.7 years. Now you can get, if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, you can get omega-3s from plant-based foods. So chia seeds, flax seeds, some of the nuts, you can get those as well, but what in plant-based foods, you get a different kind of substrate to make your omega-3s. So you got to eat a lot more of it. So, you know, um, I, 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 I like diversity. So um, plant, whole plant-based foods, seafoods, if you actually eat fish. Um, if, if you don't, explore it, if it's not for some ethical reason. Um, and then, you know, look, uh, and dairy, by the way, you know, uh, when it comes to food and health, there's no universals. Okay, some dairy products, you know, like honestly, cheeses are good for the microbiome because many traditionally made cheeses, not in large quantities, they've got saturated fats and a lot of salt. But some cheeses actually have lactobacillus and other healthy gut bacteria that we can use as a probiotic food, yogurt, a dairy product, probiotic food. And so I'm all about the science. Wherever the science takes me is where the evidence takes me. There is a great American novelist named uh, E.L. Doctorow. And he uh, had this great uh, uh, quote. He once said, writing, he's a novelist, writing is like driving at night. Um, you can't uh, see beyond your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. And that's what science is like. You just can only see where your headlights are going. And you're focusing on the evidence and ignoring all the darkness that's out, actually out there. So what about meat? Okay. Um, I, I can tell you that most of the research has been pretty convincing that if you eat a lot of red meat, OK, which was really only done for the last 70 years or so, like, you know, since the 1950s. Um, before that, most societies didn't have, we're we're not prosperous enough to have a ton of meat around. OK, and, and now we have an abundance of meat that we've industrialized meat and all the things that are not so good for us. But um, all the studies show that eating a lot of red meat and all the studies have shown that eating processed meats, We're talking about our sausages and the pepperonis and all kinds of other hot dogs, all that kind of stuff. Um, That's been classified by the World Health Organization as a carcinogen, by the way, processed meats. You know, once in a while, especially if that's something you really enjoy, don't worry about it. Knock yourself out, enjoy it. But do not do it all the time. And if you can cut it down or cut it out, more power to you, better for you. And so this whole idea about, you know, life is for the living, got to enjoy our, how we do things. You know, some things we enjoy aren't that good for us. You know, some people like to roll down the windows or take the top down and drive really fast on a, on a road faster than the speed limit. Just don't do it all the time. Cause one of these times you're going to actually get into an accident. Right. And so I think that idea of moderation, but if you're in, informed by science and you can actually then listen to your body, if you feel like crap after eating something, don't go for it. Don't eat it the next time or eat less of it. the the science is just so rich at this point in time in history that, you know, anybody that wants to get into food as medicine, as a science, not as a trend, but as a real science has a huge future ahead of them.
0: Dude, that's all amazing. This has been absolutely wonderful. Where can people follow along with you? Are you on social? Where can they get the book?
1: Yeah, well, so um, first of all, you can, uh, I I continuously put new information out that I'm finding on, uh, on social media and through. Uh, and you can find it on my website. Come to my website, drwilliamlee. Dr William Dr William Lee dot com. Dr. I'm also at Dr William Lee on social. I'm on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, I also uh, uh, do free master classes every now and then. I'm a super mission-driven person. So whenever every now and then I'll feel like I gotta go out there and I just gotta teach a masterclass and I'll go out there for free. And people can find out about it on my on my website, drwilliamlee.com. And, and, you know, spend an hour with me and I'll give you an update on what's, what's new, what's going on, how your health defense systems uh, work for it. And I also have an online course as well for people that really are interested in a deep dive.